Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. Uh, We are still doing some parables of Jesus, and uh, this morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. And so if you want to turn there, you can. I do have all the scriptures up on the slides for you today, but uh, uh, we're going to work through this parable. Now, this is, I'm going to tell you right now, this is one of my favorite parables. Um, I know I say that every time, but uh, this really is one of my favorites. I think this is one of the best stories ever told, the one that we're going to do today, and it's the story of the prodigal son. Although I think, and many others have said this, that it ought to be called not the story of the prodigal son, but the story of the extravagant loving father. Um, it's so true when you, when you hear this story. Um, as I go through this, I'm looking forward to it for a couple of reasons. One, because I'm a sinner. Anybody else in here? Sinners? And I think that you'll relate to the, the prodigal son. Um, let's go ahead and jump in. Luke chapter 15, verse 11 says this. And he said, this is Jesus speaking, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, Give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. I mean, already. I mean, how would you feel as a father? Wouldn't this almost be like saying, Dad, I wish you were already dead so I could get what's coming to me. Now, it wasn't uncommon for, in this time period, for a father to divide his inheritance before he had died. It wasn't uncommon for this to happen, but for the son to come up and say, right now, would be insult upon insult. He does divide it. It's typically uh, an older son would get two-thirds of the inheritance, the younger son would get a third of it. Um, So this is divided up, and uh, the father goes along with this and gives this son his share of the inheritance. The story continues on. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Uh, that squandered just means like dispersed. It's, also, it's, a, it's the same word that we use when we talk about the dispersion of the Jews. I mean, it's basically just throwing money left and right. I don't know if he was doing this or not, but he's getting rid of money all over the place. He's just spinning it. And this reckless living, this reckless means loose. It implies wasting money on extravagant luxury. And as we'll see later, the other brother implies that much of this was spent on prostitutes. So this son is blowing this money on things that are obviously not those that would bring honor to his father. Verse 14, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. Now, As I'm going through this story, I said this is one of my favorite stories, one of the best stories. I just love this story. But there's so many aspects along the way that this story could just go off the rails and it could turn out completely differently. And so to help illustrate that idea, um, I went this morning and I bought some little cones here, okay? Some little cautionary cones. And so this is the first place where this story could go off the rails. And so in order to... I was trying to decide where to put it. Somebody said I should put them here, but then I'd have them all lined up here. I I thought, you know what? I'm going to put one right over here off the edge of this drop-off, okay? 
Now, this is our first cautionary cone to keep us on the path to this wonderful story. This is the first place it could have gone awry. What if, instead of uh, the famine coming, these horrible things happening, what if everything had gone well when he went to this country? What if luck, so to speak, had been with him and things had worked out? I've told many people quite often that this is one of the tragedies. I mean, one of the things, one of the worst possible things that could happen when somebody decides to go off on their own to do their own thing, to live their own life. One of the worst possible things that God could ever allow to happen is to allow everything to go smooth. And so the story, right off the bat, is so dependent on things going horribly wrong as the sun went here. What if the famine hadn't happened? So here's the first aspect where the story could have turned out very differently. We wouldn't have the beauty that we have at the end. So he loses everything, and it says, So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Now, some versions say the husks. This is actually a fruit of, and I can't say the name of this tree, creatonin tree. Uh, they say that this, there's a particular tree that's abundant in Syria, and these fruits, these pods that they would pull off of these fruits. Well, I just got louder, didn't I? That that stupid speaker? Stupid speaker. Uh, so uh, the, these pods, and they would give these pods to the pigs to fatten them up. But this wasn't the type of fruit that they would have enjoyed eating. And, but he's looking at that. He's feeding these pigs this, this nasty, whatever this is, this fruit that normally just goes to pigs. And he's looking at it going, man, this sounds good. <laughs> I'm starving. So he hires himself out, and he was longing to be fed with the pods of the pigs ate. It doesn't matter what it is. He's looking at pig food thinking, this sounds good. I mean, this is so essential to that first cautionary moment, right? You've got to get to the pit sometimes to see where you ought to go. That's just the first part. I love this next line from this next verse. But when he came to himself, verse 17... This is so important because this, this idea, what's being said here, wrapped up in this verse, is that you are not truly yourself, the you that you ought to be and could be and should be. You're not yourself apart from God. And so here he is, he's a completely apart from the Father. And what happens? He comes to himself. The, the other thing I like about this phrase is that I think a lot of us know exactly what this looks like. You ever been in the pit of something and just everything is going wrong and suddenly you just stop and you go, what am I doing? <laughs> yep. I think there could be a lot of yups right there. I had a come to myself moment one time when I was driving a truck for a moving company and uh, I was out of money. I tried to get out of teaching. I thought, man, I'm just going to drive a truck and make some money. I, I had a come to myself moment. It was in a parking lot in a, at a truck stop in New York City. I didn't have enough money to pay for a hotel, and this truck didn't have a sleeper, and I was sleeping. It was December, and I was sleeping uh, on the, the, the seat of this truck, and I remember sitting there going, what am I doing? I had a come-to-myself moment there. I've had a lot of those, actually, to be honest with you. I've had a lot of come-to-myself moments. 
A lot of the more essential ones happened in my younger days, and I thought, what am I doing? But we know this feel, I mean, just, I love a phrase like this because you say it and you know what it feels like. I mean, you can almost just jump into this prodigal's, his feelings, his emotions. You can imagine, and you start picturing yourself like feeding the pigs these pods and you go, man, this, I wonder if it came, if it came to himself one of the times when maybe he, he actually thought, I'm going to, nobody's looking, I'm just going to take a quick bite of this pig food. I always imagine that's where it happened. Right as his teeth were sinking into whatever this pig slop was, he thought, oh my goodness. That's where I think he came to himself. I don't know. He's looking at the food. He's thinking, this looks good. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? Now, this is also important because he looks at his situation and he thinks to himself, even my father's servants are doing better than this. Even the servant, not, 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 not just his old status, but himself as this servant to his father. And he thinks, man, but this is where that second cautionary one, what if, he, what if this hadn't happened? So where should we put this one? Same little cliff over here. What, what if he didn't come to himself? I mean, there's a lot of people that get in this spot right here, and instead of coming to themselves, you know what they do? They go, I still think I can make this work. I still think this is better than that. I still think that somehow, I mean, I'm in a low spot now, sure, but man, I could pull this off. I just spend a lot of time here, save up a little bit of this, do a little bit of that. I, I can find a way to make it. See, this story could have gone very differently if right in the middle of this, even if the famine had come, but he gets to this point and he doesn't come to himself. I think that as I'm looking out at you, I think that some of you know exactly what this is like as well. You're in the middle of it and you keep thinking, I think I can make this work. I think sometimes pride gets in the way. I mean, to go back, See the father, the brother, the other people, even the servants, to come in that state would be tough. But what if he didn't come to himself? What a different story this would be. So important. But there's something else that happens right here in the middle of this, and I'm getting ready to give a third caution here. But I'm going to quote from a, a commentary. It says this. It says, It was hunger not love, that drew the prodigal back to his father. This is important. There was no high or disinterested motive that's just saying it wasn't some pure, like focused on the father sort of motive that, that, that prompted his return. He stayed away as long as he could. He only came back when he could not help himself. It was not the thought of the father of his father, but of the plenty of his house as contrasted with his own want that led him out of the far country to seek his father's face. This is my third caution. What if he hesitated because of impure motive? We'll stick this one right here. 
What if he hesitated because of impure motive? Now, this is important because I think, I believe that there are many people that in this prodigal path, and maybe you've been down this prodigal path, they get to this point and they think, I can't go back to the Father because I'm only doing it because I'm hungry. I'm only doing it because my life has turned sour. I've only, I'm only doing it for these reasons. These, this, this isn't a good, godly, spiritual reason to come back to God. I'm just, life stinks right now. And I don't like how it's going. Well, what I love about this story is that this, in the middle of this story of the prodigal, the father, as we're going to see, doesn't care why he comes back. And I think that Jesus included that in this story because this is a, a central element. And there's many prodigals that the, their only reason for maybe stepping foot back into a church or maybe picking up their Bible and opening it up or maybe trying to pray it isn't because of some pure spiritual motive. They're just desperate. And I want you to know right now, if you've ever gotten to that place, that's all right. I'll, I'm okay. I mean, even me personally, when people come to me, even if I can tell, they are only trying to seek out God because, man, they're, they're, they're desperate. I, I would never, me personally, I'm definitely not the father, I would never look at that person and go, nope, no, nope, no, nope, your motives are off. You're just coming here because your life is horrible. <laughs> because I know the story and I think to myself, man, this is great. God let the famine come. God let your life go sour. What a wonderful God he is that he let all these things go wrong in your life so that now you're trying to come back. <clears throat> and you may be coming back for the completely wrong reasons, but here you are. I love it when people step foot into this church and it's because of that. I'd take that any day. I really would. I'd take that any day. I don't care. But I love it when God works these things out and he brings the famine in and he causes these things of life to go horribly and he causes someone to, to come to themselves and then in their desperation, even if it's, if it's not the purest of motives, in their desperation, and maybe they're thinking completely wrongly about what God might do for them if they come back, but whatever it is, they've stepped foot into these doors, through these doors, and they come in here and they sit down and they just want to hear and they, they're singing and they're, they're confused because maybe they're not used to church and what's going on here. And, and man, you see what's happening in the bigger story? What has God done? What is he doing in their life? And he's brought them in. So this third cautionary moment is this hesitation because of motive. And so I bring this up to say, if you're sitting here today, and I don't know where you guys are at, if anybody, if we've got any prodigals, I think we have all different versions of prodigals at different times. But if you ever hesitate because you think to yourself, I'm only praying because my life is bad, that's okay. Cry out to God. Cry out to Him. Tell Him what's going on. Tell Him about all the things that are going bad. And even if you come to God and you say, I'm not worthy to be a son, I just want to be a servant in your house, if I could just have something that you've got, just throw me some scraps. Come anyway. That same uh, commentary goes on to say this, how foolish the thought of those who shrink back 
from God because they have not come to him with a pure, disinterested motive. Basically saying what? How foolish, it's foolish to, to hold back coming to God because you think, well, I'm, I don't have my everything figured out yet. I don't have my motives aren't right. I'm just, I'm just desperate. That's okay. Come, come. Now hold on to some of these thoughts, some of these cautions, because there's going to be a serious implication for all of us as I get close to the end. But let's see what happens next. The sun does rise. It said, I will rise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he's got his plan. He sets it in motion. He heads out and he arose, came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, not even there yet. There's so many little things in this story that I just, I'm like, God is beyond my understanding sometimes. The Father, who's representative of our Heavenly Father, sees him from afar. That, you know what that tells me? That tells me, Dad, <laughs> I'm going to use another cone here in just a second. That tells me the Dad... I can just see him looking out the window. Maybe today. Maybe today he's coming back. Right? Looking out. Hoping to see. I always picture him seeing maybe the, the path that goes over the couple hills, you know. And maybe, maybe he sees somebody coming. In. Is that? No, that doesn't. He's not walking like. I mean, I know what my son looks like. And, and, I can, and then that day that it happens. Sees his son from afar. And what's it say? While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And this next one just blows my mind. And ran. See this old guy? Running down the dirt path. <laughs> That's what I'd be doing. Running. embraced him. We don't do this, but kisses him. Some dads do, don't they? I like doing that to Joe just to throw him off. What an amazing picture. This story could have gone very different. And this, this may not seem as much like, oh, a caution for us, but I think the thought is in here that this is a caution for us. What if God, and I'm going to stick it over here. We'll stick it on this side still. Put it right here at the steps. What if God wasn't actually like this? I could say, what if God was like some of us? Aren't you glad he's not? Because I know exactly how some of us respond when somebody, I mean, if somebody would have done that to us and they come back, they go, we wouldn't have been running out and embracing them. We would have said, I'm going back to this other room, and I'm just going to sit down in my chair and uh, wait till he... Oh, sorry, microphone. And wait till he's got to come to me. Right? Can you see you doing that? You go to the back room. Maybe the servants come, and they go, Hey, he's, your son's here. Okay. Well, are you going to go say anything to him? Well, if he wants to talk to me, he can come talk to me. And whatever he's got to say, it better be good. 
Is that not how many of us would respond? And then the son comes in. Father, I don't know. I don't know if I have any servant spots open right now. I'll look. I might have something. But you better believe you're, you're going to have to prove yourself. Can you hear that? Can you hear, can you hear it in your head? You're going to have to prove yourself. You've got to make sure. I mean, I'm going to be watching you like a hawk. I'll give you a chance. But you don't think it's going to be any easier for you than any of the other servants. But that's not the picture of our God, is it? I lost my clip. That's okay. That's not the picture of our God. What if God wasn't like this? What did God do instead? What, what is this picture display of our Heavenly Father? What does He do? Does He do any of that? No. I put it up as a cautionary warning for us because I think that there are some prodigals that right at this point, they, they get to this spot they're willing to, I'm going to put it this way, they're willing to throw themselves on the mercy of God. Now, mercy means that you don't get what you deserve. So, so there's some prodigals that in the, the midst of their sin and they want to come back to God, and they come back and they're willing to throw themselves on God's mercy and say, maybe he won't give me what I deserve, you know, and, and just re- totally reject me. And they throw themselves on the mercy of God, but, but they're unwilling to go the next step Because see, our God is not just merciful. He's also gracious. Grace means getting what you don't deserve. This only makes sense in light of Jesus. This is how I'm able to even begin to pull it together. Because Christ, what did he do? He took the punishment for all of our sin upon himself. And his righteousness is bestowed to us so that the Father can be righteous and just as well as merciful and kind and gracious. But I think you as a prodigal, some of you that sit here and you think, maybe you've been at this point and you think, ah, I don't know if God's really like this or not. Doesn't it sound too good to be true? Let's be honest. Doesn't this goodness of God, doesn't this sound too big? You mean I can just go and do whatever I want? That's a, this is how some people look at it. I just go and live however I want, and then when I'm ready to come back, now, I'm telling you, at the end of the day, that's kind of what exactly happens, isn't it? With the graciousness of God? We don't understand that because I don't think many of us would have that same measure of grace. The son says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. Now, he had more to that speech, if you think back. But he's unable to finish it. But the father said to his servants, the son, he's got his speech worked out. I'm no longer worthy to be called your your son. The rest of that was going to be, can I be one of your servants? He doesn't even get to it. What's the father do? He just starts shouting orders. Right? Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. Why? 
For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was, he was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Another cone for you here. We'll stick this one on this side. Because even with the acceptance that his father is like this, what if the son, what if the son would have refused the grace at this point? It would have seemed, what's the word I'm looking for? Good? Proper? I mean, as a son, I might have said, you know, if my father said, no, you know, I've just spent half your inheritance. It feels like even when he offered this, the right thing that I ought to do at this point is to go, no, 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 no. We can't do this. I, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. I think they're prodigals that quite often they come back and this is right where they hover. And they look at the things of God and they think, man, I wish I could be part of that, but I know I can't ever do it because I don't deserve it. And I want to say to you right now, you're right. That's the amazing part of the story. This son does not deserve anything that happens to him. I have found one of the the strongest motivators in my own heart, my own life, that has brought me back to doing the things of God is being accepting of God's grace to say, to, to believe that this might actually be, that God is really this gracious. That I can be a horrible, wretched sinner and say, Father. And he says, bring the robe. Get the ring. Kill the fatted calf. We're going to celebrate. I mean, that, it's so extravagant that this father would be this way. And I think that some of us find it hard to accept, hard to believe that God is really this sort of God, that he's really this gracious. What if the son at this point had refused to accept the grace? What a different story this would have been at this particular point. It would have left us going, huh. Oh. But instead, what happens? The father celebrates. The son is pulled fully into that grace. It reminds me of a psalm, Psalm 84. Uh, the psalmist in Psalm 84 is, is I think, walking around and looking at the temple in its glory. And he says this, he says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. And then I think he literally saw a bird building a nest somewhere on the, the edge of the temple. And he says, Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. He goes on to ver- in verse 10, and he says this, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? I think we sing a song that says that. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. An essential thing that must happen in the heart of this prodigal at this moment 
And I think it does. We don't know. I think it does. It's for that prodigal to shift from saying, I'm back to the Father just because I'm desperate, to stepping fully back into being a son. And it only happens because of the graciousness of the Father. So I'm I'm just going to be really honest. If you've ever been a prodigal, and you've come back, and you're hovering at this point, the best possible thing you can do is just believe it. God is this gracious. And you will find when you step into the fullness of this that it's not just, hey, I'm getting all these things that I, it's not just that I'm not eating pig food anymore. And you begin to have this kind of mentality. One day in the courts of God, just one day, the Father is better than anything else I could find anywhere else. I think the Son at this point realizes this is not just about better food. It's not just about better food. I mean, sure, he was getting a fattened calf instead of a pig slop, right? But it's not just about the better food. At this point, it's a realization, and this is where it ought to go with each and every one of you as prodigals. This is where it ought to go. It's about the father. The friends that he had out in the world, when everything went sour, what did they do? Abandoned him. The father, in the midst of his need, what does the father do? Loves him. Accepts him in. What more could you possibly want? And that's precisely where that goes. Now, the story doesn't end there, and so there's going to be one more cautionary thing, and this is where it's going to come back to, I think, each and every one of you. This is so important. His older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Now, at this moment, think about something real quick. Just, just real quick. If the father had divided the inheritance up and this one son had taken everything that was his, isn't everything that's left the other sons at this point? Right? I mean, isn't, I mean it's, uh, he's already got his part. So everything, including the fattened calf that's just been slaughtered, isn't it real technically all this son's? He said to him, oh, I remember this part. But he, the brother, was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, now, it's hard for me not to read this and not to sound whiny, okay? So I'm going to try not to sound whiny on purpose, but it's kind of hard not to. Look, these many years I have served you. See, I'm doing it already. And I never, I never disobeyed your command, yet, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. This sounds so pathetic, doesn't it? But I'm going to say, I can't blame him. I mean, technically, I mean, he's done everything right. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And the father says, son, you're always with me. 
and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. It was fitting. That was the right thing to do, son. It was fitting that we do this. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Son, how could you not be all on board with this? Your brother who was lost is found. One of the points of this parable, if you understand its context, is purposefully about this older brother and about how they're like the Israelites, the Jews. And as we've studied Acts, we've seen the Jews respond this way. The Gentiles came back. There's that part of the story, but I don't want to go down that road. I want to tell you right now that this is precisely where each and every one of us ought to understand and look and consider if we act this way when we see prodigals. And I think there's an important reason why. Because what if we respond like the brother and not like the father? I'll put this one right up here. See, one of the differences between this story and what actually happens when somebody steps foot into church or maybe meets a Christian, one of you. See, they don't get to see the father directly. All they get to see is the father's representatives. In this case, it would have been like the brother. When we have prodigals that even seem like they want to return, we ought to respond like the father and not like the brother. You think to yourself, that's extravagant. I mean, shouldn't we make them do this or make them do that? Shouldn't we do these things? Shouldn't we? You know what? Bottom line, if we're going to err in some way, ought we not to err in the extravagant grace of God? You know what happens at this point? And I could almost hear this brother saying it. What if you do this and then he just gets, and he, what if we get burned again? Anybody ever thought that? What if we get burned again? So flipping what? Who cares? Would you not want to err on the side of God's grace? Wouldn't you rather err in that direction? What if we responded like the brother, not like the father. You as a people, as a church, I'm going to leave you with that thought. We ought to be as much as possible because just like in this story, the son who stayed, technically everything was his. He had done all the right stuff. He owned it all at this point. Technically, when he killed the fatted calf, the father did. Whose fatted calf was it? It was the brothers. Ought we not to be the same way with the prodigals that mosey into this church or mosey into your life? Or you come across out in the world when you're at your jobs and when you're at the store. You meet, and ought we not to say, come on back. There's a celebration waiting for you. To be really specific, I'm not going to put stipulations, and we ought not to, on God's grace. 
And some we may have to convince. Because many will say, is it really this good? Yes. I will forgive you each and every time. Because I'm, the Father's not here to say that directly to you, so I want to say it to you. Welcome back, son. Welcome back, daughter. Come on in. We want you here. We're ready to celebrate. And if you're hesitant, don't be. God is gracious. And I want to prove that to you by being gracious myself. Can we not do that? Ought we not to do that? Absolutely. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a gracious, wonderful God you are. You're merciful, but you're also gracious. And I just, I praise you for it. Lord, I think of you running down the road. And Lord, I just think that's how we ought to be with the prodigals that we know. Lord, we ought not to be angry like that older brother. Lord, help us to be gracious. Help us to be living representatives of this gracious Father. Help us to respond the way he did, to, to run down the road, to embrace, to celebrate repentance. Father, I believe that there are many prodigals that struggle at that moment of repentance, that, that last little step of entering back into sonship, daughtership. And Lord, I just ask that you would help us as a church to do everything that we can to help each and every person along to show them that, God, you are just as gracious as some people's wildest dreams. Lord, more so. And I pray that you would help us to demonstrate this with our attitudes, with our words, with our stuff, everything that we have. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.